0: Lucas is thinking no one can see how high I am right now. That's what Lucas is thinking. He is
1: well done. High as fuck.
0: All right, Tom, welcome to the Chill Podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, man.
0: Yeah, so go ahead and uh, introduce yourself and uh, tell us where we can find you online.
1: Cool. Um, well, my name is Tom Shuba. I am a reporter with the Chicago Sun-Times newspaper. Um, you know, it's weird. A couple of years ago, as kind of the discussions were first starting around like recreational cannabis, um, I kind of got pushed in the direction of like, hey, start doing some pot stories, start feeling this thing out. And at the time, it was still very, like, sleepy, you know, like what was happening in the medical space. And uh, it was still, you know, the Rauner administration. And uh, they were just kind of, there was just starting to be, like, the push around, like, expanding the number of medical patients that were allowed, like, expanding the list of conditions and stuff but still it was like, you know, really this quiet thing. And like, even like, you know, that's why like the relocation topic is a big issue right now with medical dispensaries. It's like these dispensaries were kind of like relegated to like the outskirts of town sort of places. So It was like, it was, it was hidden and quiet and, and like I said, kind of, kind of sleepy. Um, And then it just kind of started taking off with uh, you know, Pritzker campaigned on it. And then it, you know, quickly, there was all this momentum behind it. And uh, so it's been a, a thrill and a, a really interesting for a young reporter to be able to cover on like, you know, some, some stories are about state government, some stories are about, um, you know, regulations, some stories are, are business stories, some stories are culture stories. So um, you kind of get to do a lot of different types of reporting. And that's been uh, an exciting part of, uh, you know, jumping into this beat and learning about, learning about the weed industry on the fly mostly. Right.
0: So, uh, where did you start, Lito? You know, what did what did you start uh,
1: writing? Oh, sorry. I think I jumped into this too quick. That's uh, all good. I, I uh, you know, I was always interested in uh, the news. I came from like a, a like super, uh, you know, a house where we got a lot of like. New, we got the like every day the Tribune delivered I sat you know I was admittedly from a Tribune household <laughs> um and uh you know the Wall Street Journal and uh my dad worked uh in the ad business for just different magazines like he sold an advertising space for different magazines so my house was like uh like a CVS basically like it had every single magazine you could think of every month. So like, you know, every issue of Rolling Stone or uh, Time Magazine or Atlantic. So there, it was just like uh, journalism was always around me. Um, And I didn't really look at it like a career path. Um, And then I got into uh, college and I went to Loyola. And um, I was not like, deeply interested in <clears throat> um, like print journalism as much as I was in just uh, like, I really liked uh, taking film classes and stuff like that. And I thought yeah. it was open TV. So uh, I interned at NBC five actually. And um, when my internship ended, then I got like a job, like a full-time freelance job with NBC five. Where I was, where I was doing like blogging about state government, um, and so I did that, and then that kind of like you know, ran its course, and then I got the job at the Sun Times, uh, mostly doing like overnight crime reporting, um, you know. One thing leads to another, and you just kind of uh, keep going with it. But uh, yeah, I was I always loved journalism, so you know, yeah started doing it and seeing a path with it. You, uh, you just, you just take what you can.
0: Yeah. So overnight crime, (laughs) what was your first, uh, what was your first cannabis story? Do you remember?
1: Oh man, I don't remember what my first cannabis story was.
0: Why don't we just jump right into it? Uh, there's a lot going on in Illinois cannabis right now. Um, I sent you a, few, a list of some stories. Where do you where do you want to start, Tom? Where do you think it would make sense Talk to
1: about start? Gay story today because that was kind of like the big story from today.
0: Yeah, let's get right into it.
1: About uh, you want to like pitch pitch what the broad strokes of it are?
0: Well, um, ba- basically, from what I understand, is that KPMG um, hired gig workers. Um, paid him like $35 an hour, had barely any training, that whole thing we heard about, uh, you know, the, the spin they gave us with, oh, you know, COVID it's just making this really difficult. Maybe that wasn't so true. Um, there was some issues with like flash drives or whatever, but, um, that's kind of like my, I guess, broad stroke. What is, what is your takeaway? I guess. So let's.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a interesting thing because like, yeah, like these little details about what what happened with the KPMG thing have like uh, kind of filtered out weirdly like, and uh, Mike did a good job of like detailing like Toys Hutchinson's like little, uh, you know, comments that she said about explanations and stuff, um, which seemed to match and not match in some ways some of like the explanations that he found through like all of these emails that he had uh, gotten through foia uh requests um but yeah like the, the flash drive thing like that they couldn't get the, the applications off the flash drives the explanation was like they couldn't send people to get the flash drives initially because there was like a travel ban like that was part of what the explanation was but like it seemed like the issue with the flash drive was kind of deeper than that. That they like couldn't extract the actual like data off of the flash, drive. Yeah. and then like KPMG had to send like a tech guru or something to like the Geek Squad to like come fix it or something. But, uh, yeah, really uh, is a fascinating story. Um, you know, I think the last thing that I wrote like in February was the KPMG's contracts for like the ag with the ag department and the IDFPR which were no bid contracts, um, like have jumped in value to around $14 million now. But this subcontractor who did all this initial work with only got $700,000. And like the is this company, I think it's called Indelible Solutions. And yeah, like they, they briefly trained some workers and then uh, the workers had like this daunting task of like, sifting through these really complicated um, applications that included like tons of documentation. And they like, you know, had to make these definitive rulings on like something critical, like does this person actually like, uh, you know, live in a disproportionately impacted area and can they actually qualify for um, social equity status? And then- there was a portion in the story where like the map on the state website or something was like messed up. So it was like showing wrong information mm-hmm. about like it being in certain areas. <clears throat> really uh, a fascinating story, but yeah, obviously like KPMG has just gotten like so much blowback over this whole thing happening and, and has really been like, you know, by, equity applicants and just advocates, um, like demonized in the whole process, like because the whole issue was that, you know, people are supposed to get these notices of their deficiencies in their applications and be able to fix them and people didn't get them. And, um, you know, it's just kind of been this saga that doesn't seem to be ending. Um, there seemed to be a glimmer of hope last week when they had that press conference with um, Ricky Hendon and Edie Moore and rep Ford. But um, it seems to me like that bill still needed some work after that Mm -hmm. from my conversations with the representative. Um, And I know there was some maybe miscommunication or misunderstanding about what like what's going to be in the bill because i know like um one reporter reported 150 new licenses and another reporter had told me that he had heard the same thing and then what's actually in the bill is 110 new rec licenses and then releasing five medical licenses in the draft that i most recently saw so Hmm. in kind of covering these like following the negotiations that have happened that have led up to this, which it it is like a really interesting thing that's happening, you know, like to put the responsibility of this into the hands of the people who it's going to impact. Right. So like people who could potentially benefit from this legislation are writing it, um, which is interesting. Um, and which, uh, you know the former alderman dick simpson who's a professor now and kind of a expert on ethics said that you know that could be problematic in some ways uh just like any other interested party trying to sway legislation Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's just kind of been there's so many sides and people who have their own uh input into what's right and how this should be done and how, what fair really means here. And uh, so, yeah, it's kind of been this fluid thing. And every time I get a different draft or uh, get new details about what's gonna be in it, it's it's like slightly shifted. So um, I've uh, had to kind of t- tread lightly recently after like, you know, writing some stories and be like, this is what's gonna be in this thing based on this draft just kind of been subject to change and now it seems like um other government parties are involved and uh so we'll see I, I think it'll eventually get introduced and we'll see what happens in Springfield and uh you know how appeased the industry feels by certain provisions in it. Yeah.
0: Well, like you say, it's subject to change, but the last bill, the uh, last draft you saw, you said it had something about five medical licenses in it. Yeah. Like, would yeah. that be more five more there medical must
1: be five medical licenses that were never issued. So like I think mm. there were fifty five, right? Medical dispensaries that then could be dual use. So that that's how the language sounds. To me about like these registrations which are licenses um right but, but it's like to issue the existing ones or something to that effect so that's why that that's how it read to me that these are like things that were already created but they just have to be issued and yeah. they, they would do like a separate <laughs> a separate lottery for that so there's like multiple there's like uh there's like so they would have the 75 lottery of like the one that we know about, right? That has been delayed all this time. Right. <clears throat> then another lottery for 35 licenses, then another lottery for 75 licenses, and then another lottery for five medical licenses. Hmm. So it's a lot of, uh, you know, it's a lot of work. <laughs> so yeah. you see how one lottery has went, right? So,
0: like, well, yeah, and we haven't even seen the results of the craft cultivation lottery, which is going to be scored by KPMG again as well, right?
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah.
0: So, and my concern is that, you know, you see these dispensary doors open. What are they going to have to do next? I was saying this on my Instagram the other day. Like, as soon as they open doors, they're going to have to buy cannabis. Who are they going to buy it from? The current license holders, which I just, see, I just think we're going to see some more disparity because you already see disparity at the current dispensaries. Like, you know, the selection at one dispensary will vary a lot from another. And the best example I can give you is like, if you go to a revolution dispensary, I mean, they have all the revolution products as, as they would, right. So they're vertically integrated. So um, I'm just worried though, that we're going to see that play out with the new dispensaries. Like, we're gonna it seems like that's coming together you know and it's like we still haven't heard anything about craft cultivation I'm worried that like that's gonna be a bad situation in and of itself you know
1: right I mean like the question about doing this all without like first at least like releasing the craft licenses which who knows how effective that will be to like, you know, uh, actually supply all of these new shops, but like, yeah, you're also talking about like, so by March 31st, um, that's when, uh, all the licenses for the dual use rec licenses and the plus one rec licenses all have to be issued by the 31st of March, right. The end of this month. So like, We'll potentially have 150 shops, you know, or no, not 150, 55, 110 shops, right? Yeah. Yeah. This would more than double that, or this would, this would, yeah, this would be 115 new shops altogether, five medical and 110 rack. So, gotcha. so like you're talking about doubling the size of the market this legislation um based on how many of those licenses actually get issued which it looks like it's in the going in the direction that they that they will be mostly be issued um so like um how do you deal with that right like we saw what the what a supply shortage looked like and that kind of lingered on for a while after january 1st of last year where it was like that was an issue and it was pro- you know probably detrimental like you know the, all of this excitement out of it and people go to the store for the first time and find out they can't buy weed flop you know right animals, you know like right um what what psychological effect does that have on a consumer to come back to the store um so like <clears throat> and i think that was the idea of like you know we do this disparity study and we figure out like how many more shops the state really can support or that really needs. Yeah, um, but at the same time, so but back back to the initial point, which was that like yeah, how are we going to have enough pot to supply all of these people when all of these licenses are issued if there aren't more large scale grow licenses, um, right? To to Pick up the weight you're always also talking about like the you know to, to stand up a grow is takes a long time you have to you have to, <laughs> you have to grow a lot of weed and that's a laborious and lengthy process so yeah. um there's a lot of question marks but i think like the the idea with doing it this way is just like look give people the foothold we promised them right Give people from these backgrounds and from these communities the foothold that we legalized uh, marijuana. Um, there's gonna be issues with all this stuff, but um, right,
0: yeah. So it's uh, it, it's gonna be interesting to see how this all plays out, and I, I can only hope that it plays out sooner rather than later. Because at this point, it's it's just frustrating, <laughs> you know. It's just. Um, and I can't even imagine for the folks that that have their hats in the ring. You know, we've talked to some people that have, uh, you know, facilities zoned permitted and they're paying for them, you know. And of course, um, cannabis businesses don't really have any access to funding because of banking laws, which I think I was reading on um, normal's instagram page national normal that the house reintroduced the safe banking act act yeah. uh, to normalize cannabis commerce so that's really promising in my opinion and what's promising about it is that you've got democrats and republicans um sponsoring the bill um, from what i understand it's got bipartisan support people tend to agree uh that you know cannabis Related, related endeavors um, you know you should be able to access banks it's crazy yeah. that it's a cash only business it's, you know
1: it's, it's just um, there's like have
0: you seen Ozark do you see what comes out of cash only businesses like it's not a good thing
1: <laughs> so. a lot of things within uh, the you know that are a result of the federal prohibition that um, just are nonsensical, (laughs) you know, just, or I I wouldn't say nonsensical. I I mean, they make sense within the confines of the law, but um, are uh, hindrances like no others to, you know, technically legal businesses. Um, And yeah, like the, the banking issue, just like, interstate commerce, all of these things that, uh, you know, could potentially be remedied by uh, Congress um, that are just kind of leaving leaving everything hanging. Um, John Pletz and Cranes wrote a good story recently, I think in the last couple of days about like, uh, Illinois being the new, like being the Silicon Valley of weed and uh, yeah, but you know he like you know this cycle of consolidation and kind of what's happened right now to build these companies like you know, Cresco, Pharmacat, GTI, Verano's up to these like <clears throat> industry standard huge pot corporations. Like he notes in the story, like yeah, well, like then there's the possibility, of, like if they do, like you know, take some sort of federal action. Then they're gonna have to compete with like, you know, real big dogs and like, you know, companies that maybe weren't in the weed industry but are huge companies that want to be in the weed industry. And uh, then there could just be another cycle of consolidation or you know people getting swept up. But um, it was a it was an interesting story, but. Um, Back to your point about safe banking. Yeah. Safe banking. I mean, if they do like more act 2.0, it seems like there's a lot of enthusiasm and Chuck Schumer is becoming like a real cheerleader for this sort of stuff. And, um, it's just kind of like, what's, uh, is there enough votes (laughs) with the slim margin in the Senate? Probably. But, um, at the same time, I think uh, for the Democrats, and this is perhaps why Schumer is seeming so hot to trot about this, is that he recognizes that this is like a potential swing issue for the midterms that could, um, you know, marijuana is popular uh, across partisan lines. Um, people uh, who, you know, like uh, are, trump supporters or whatever (laughs) devout people who uh hate chuck schumer and nancy pelosi um aren't going to stop smoking weed if they legalize it (laughs) right decriminalize it nationally you know and uh so i don't know uh it seems like there's enthusiasm behind it but then you got uh the the two folks in the white house who seem to be kind of uh question marks with
0: (laughs) yeah yeah let's let's get into that um i got the story pulled up from cnn (laughs) folks if you want to read the story uh this headline from cnn cnn white house staffers asked to resign or work remotely after revealing past marijuana use i like that last part or work remotely as if they're like they've got like they're contagious and they're gonna you know spread the disease of being a stoner um i actually looked into it it looks like um the exception um was that if you you could like work from home um here it is staffers must agree to stop using marijuana agree to pledge to not use marijuana during government service and undergo random drug tests god damn they're running a tight ship at the white house Um, These employees will work remotely until their past usage quote meets the standards set by the personnel security division. So what do you think about this story, Tom?
1: Well, I mean, I think like, I'm sure for uh, like, from my impression of how I saw people responding to it online. um, I think people are kind of taking it as a, you know, the, An an indication of the Biden administration's stance on marijuana use and and marijuana in general. And um, I'm sure, you know, they're following some, you know, like obviously there's in the whatever the Daily Beast story that broke it, um, there was stuff about like, you know, how much time different agencies like allow, like the cooling off period from like when you last admitted to smoke weed to. When you get the job, sort of thing, but you know, I, obviously they're they're running the government. Uh, they have to vet people. That's important, um, getting into people's backgrounds and uh, understanding their character. But like, uh, if there were really like these assurances that, like, hey, you know, like it's it's chill, <laughs> whatever, mm-hmm. and and then they kind of like took a left turn on that. Um, it, it does seem to be uh unfair to these folks and i think the point that the daily beast story kept uh repeatedly try- i think it was the daily beast who broke it yeah um, we're, we're, we're repeatedly trying to make was like what if these people are smoking marijuana somewhere where it was legal you know right in a state legal place what if they were smoking legal marijuana mm-hmm. and then you just kind of get back into like this kookiness of the divide between state and federal weed laws, you know, and, um, you know, it's like, it's like uh, but in that sense, then you kind of have to be like, well, then you're kind of not getting to have your job for do, like, you know, okay. You smoked a joint two years ago or something and you admit it, you owned up to it in your right. obligation. Um, it's like you could be an alcoholic (laughs) They they, they don't even care
0: straight up straight up
1: well um what uh it's it's indicative of the stigmatization of marijuana the continued stigmatization of marijuana which i think like part of what's happening in america is like uh Marijuana is being legalized for reasons now, right? Like, uh, whether it's like, Oh, we want to create revenue or, um, you know, like the medical marijuana was a great thing. We have a reason to do this because, uh, we see these studies and it helps these conditions and we want to give people access to this and not have them, you know, have to do this to the black market, you know? And, uh, In Illinois, it was interesting because we did it for the reason. uh, We did for the reason of uh, social equity, you know, or of uh, of of diversifying the industry, of you know, you know, accomplishing criminal justice reforms, and of. I'm still here. Oh, shit. Um, yeah. You know, accomplishing criminal justice reforms and, uh, you know, reinvigorating communities with money and, you know, creating good programs. Um, but you know, I think the what's incumbent on lawmakers in, uh, in, uh, Washington to acknowledge is like <laughs> what what they're doing is they're they're destigmatizing something that the general pop population has generally thought is um, you know according to polls and you know is 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 not a a serious problem or issue and should be legalized. Um, they're so it's like uh, how do you How do you address that and and how do you address stigmatization like i think certain like in illinois it's still stigmatized right weed is in closed containers at the store and um you know it's uh tightly regulated um it's still policed otherwise um
0: still illegal i mean it's still illegal in my I mean, opinion,
1: most people are buying. Let's be honest. The most people are buying marijuana illegally. Because, it, uh, it's exactly. And 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 the reality is that marijuana is coming from places that do have much more destigmatized uh, weed cultures, and that right. do really have like weed cultures. You know, like whether it be uh, Washington or uh, Northern California or uh, Oregon. You know, like these things are like enmeshed um, and, and uh, accepted and uh, pretty loose. And are we seeing, (laughs) I'm not seeing huge. Well, and one
0: of the prime concerns of like people that opposed legalization of adult use cannabis in Illinois was that we would see a diversion or, or some sort of what, something like what's going on today and i mean it's it's happening because it's too expensive and like you say people will people don't want to go to the store and and purchase it
1: you know what i mean and i mean here's the thing about like like oh we're concerned about um the diversion of product in illinois right like it's like well why would you (laughs) like divert product? you're just gonna grow weed yourself you know like there's People grow marijuana illegally in Illinois. People right. from Illinois go to be, you know, uh, trimmers up in the, you know, Mendocino County in the em- Emerald Triangle and work there for a couple months and make some dough and bring marijuana back illegally and sell it. Here. <laughs> it's um, it's something that you know. So um, how do you uh, how do you normalize? legal marijuana to the point that illegal marijuana is more negligible. And, and like, I have a buddy in um, Seattle, and he was telling me, Oh, man, you know, I got this great little weed store. Um, Go there, they give me all the results of the tests, they give me uh, the date it was, uh, you know, picked or whatever. And uh, I get to check it all out and it costs 35 bucks out the door with tax, you know, for, an, for an eighth <laughs> of marijuana, which I mean, I haven't been to a dispensary or checked up on it in a while, but the last time I checked, it was like around like $90. You know,
0: yeah. Yep.
1: So, you know, if you want to end the black market, you have to make the, legal market more attractive to the people who are funneling all the money into the black market and you know again this comes back to the amount of cannabis that's cultivated probably i would would you know like supply and demand so if the uh there's more supply then the price is going to come down
0: yeah um so again these are what we'll be talking about folks is just they're drafts of bills, but it's exciting news. Robert McCoppin or Bob McCoppin um, did a piece in the Chicago Tribune, um, speaking of the Tribune, uh, about um, new cannabis stores, marijuana tours, protecting pets from pot, um, and, and more. Do you have any thoughts on some of the things that uh, were included in that article? Yeah,
1: I like a lot of them. Um, like,
0: I like the provision about uh, not to cut you off, but I really like the provision. They said there was a, a little bit of language regarding uh, allowing consumers to look and smell at the smell, the product before so a, purchasing
1: a normalization thing, you know, and I think other aspects of this are the same way too. Like, you know uh, the tours, these uh, like allowing the sale and consumption of weed at these pop-up sort of events and parties, like, mm-hmm, this doesn't have to you know it it can't always be under lock and key and you know figure out how to do this sort of stuff correctly and i think that's what lawmakers are trying to do now by introducing all this legislation is like a how can we you know maximize this industry and create more ancillary business and allow more people to profit from this and b you know how you know it's normalization and also marijuana is from my understanding of weed <laughs> is um supposed to be fun right <laughs> like the idea of weed is that it's fun and it makes you feel good and you do it with people and you know it's a communal exercise and it makes uh you know conversations funnier and music better so uh a thing like a a cannabis tour or, uh, you know, pop-up parties sort of thing. Um, yeah. Why not have things that are, you know, it's like, uh, if you legalized alcohol, but there were no bars, you know, (laughs) right. Right. Talk about the consumption cafe that's opening up, but, um, or just
0: parties in general, like, you know, like like you say, yeah. Uh,
1: you know, so I think I think those are kind of uh, feed into that whole idea of like you know normalization and and culture around it you know and community building around it and um, it doesn't uh, I don't think I don't think it'll remain this um, this taboo for much longer in Illinois and. Like I was saying, my buddy in Seattle or like, you know, people in LA there's, or in California, it's like, there's a, there's a world of, uh, cannabis culture yeah. revolves around things like this. Um, and so introducing these things to Illinois, I think obviously there's economic benefit for these things that, and they won't rely on like, Oh, we have to get a state license and go through this process and apply and have KPMG get the application and give it to another person. And then, you know, you could just probably get some sort of business license and be able to do this with a like local, like the pop-up thing is like County or municipal. Okay. You can do this sort of stuff. Um, so I like those, uh, I think those ones are, are super interesting and are, uh, kind of kind of encouraging to the end of like you know as a as a cannabis reporter it's like you know what's next interesting kind of cool thing around cannabis right and like for people who are like really like you're like a big kind of cannabis personality culture sort of person at this point you know or becoming one um and it's like what are the things that are as a writer that are going to get someone like you excited about what's happening in cannabis in Illinois. Yeah. And these are those sorts of things because again, marijuana is fun. So what are the, you know, what are the things that will maximize that fun? Um, Those are interesting ones. Um, The cannabis control commission thing is interesting. Um, Yeah. Resting control Uh. of, uh, cannabis regulation from the IDFPR and the <laughs> Department of Ag. Um, you know, other states have like commissions and stuff that oversee this. Yeah. Uh,
0: Colorado has the Marijuana Enforcement Division, Med. Um, I can't remember what Michigan's is right now off the top of my head, but um, it, I see that as a, a, I think, yeah, Mike Fouché had reported on that as well. They were approving licenses at an exponential rate last fall. Um, and and I credit that to having a focused um, commission for cannabis control, you know. So,
1: so I think uh, <clears throat> that one we'll see where that goes. I mean, sure. Um, yeah, the see and smell weed thing, another thing, normalization, something that will get consumers and weed at users excited about doing it um yeah
0: i thought it was cool they were uh there's a possible proposal that would require schools to teach the medical and legal ramifications of cannabis use similar to warnings about alcohol and drug use
1: right you did you ever have to do um dare
0: yeah actually yeah it was
1: you uh did they make you uh sing the song uh dare to keep a kid off drugs. <laughs> no,
0: they just showed us some Get crazy videos, court. man.
1: Dare to give a kid some help. Dare <laughs> to give a kid some hope. Yeah, we would have to sing that. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I think that's great. I mean, uh, I, I, teaching kids about you know, because it sounded like you know uh there was like you know teaching about pot used broadly like so like in a medical sense too but then um but i don't yeah. know yeah i mean kids kids could also just use more math <laughs> <laughs> Science. yeah the next yeah.
0: thing uh i saw you had reported on unless you had something else um
1: the pets thing is uh is is uh kind of a no-brainer yeah um, i mean you know everybody everybody knew that kid in college who like blew weed into his dog's face and like you know probably mm-hmm. just thought, like you know, this guy's a nut job
0: yeah <laughs> fucked up <laughs> like
1: so it's like yeah uh let's end that sort of behavior um absolutely dogs and cats and gerbils uh don't need to be high on marijuana they're they're content how they are so um i i hope that one that one gets through yeah um oh yeah yeah, yeah. so um the conflict of interest the marty Moylan bills so like the first one is about like uh stricter conflict of interest provisions um, to prevent uh, the, you know, people who are lawmakers or (laughs) regulators or their spouses. Um, It expands the the current conflict of interest protections to like, you can't accept a job and like then there's stuff about can't invest, have investments in the companies either um i i believe that
0: no worries it's always good to get a accurate answer folks so just a reminder we're joined with tom shuba from chicago sun times he's a cannabis reporter um does a lot of great work so definitely um follow uh tom on twitter it's at tom shuba am i correct
1: yeah i i think so um yeah
0: let me check on that for you folks um yep it's at tom shuba you'll see the check mark next to his name and folks if you look at the picture for this podcast that's picture of tom uh standing in front of a beautiful sea of greenery um (laughs) that same picture is his uh profile picture so
1: okay so um and the the conflict of interest provisions were added um when uh state senator patricia van pelt uh like, got outed for holding, like, these pot-related seminars and having a company that, uh, you know, she said they intended to get uh, cannabis licenses. So legislators, pot regulators, and their family members currently face restrictions if they worked for the state during a two-year period stretching back to the law's effective date in June 2019. Those individuals are barred from applying for or holding licenses created under the law, and they can't have an interest in a licensed company unless it's a passive investment in a publicly traded firm. Moylan's bill goes a step further and would block those same individuals from accepting employment with a licensed company and passively investing in one. Um, So the story that I wrote was kind of like about this this bill, and I'll get into one's other bill, which I think is, is, uh, uh, f- for a, a reporter, uh, covering cannabis is, uh, exciting. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, the, uh, the, uh, the issue with this strengthening the conflict of interest provisions in this case is that it doesn't touch on a lot of people who um are former regulators or um lawmakers uh who you know have some uh are benefiting in some way from yeah
0: there's a lot of familiar names can you go through
1: some of them so the, the big one that it seems to be like you know that uh, it seems to be specifically kind of targeted at is um, state state representative Kelly Cassidy, who has been uh, you know huge uh, advocate for cannabis um, dating back to medical legalization. <clears throat> she was one of the quote unquote cannabitches who kind of led the legalization charge under Pritzker, um, for rec. And um, so after that law you know when it was legalized it was passed um it was reported that uh cassidy's spouse candace gingrich who is uh i think this the half sister of newt gingrich the former speaker which is so such a strange like just fascinating um definitely uh but uh candace gingrich had gotten a job with Revolution in Florida as part of Revolution's Florida Expansion Operations. Um, And Gingrich, um, you know, has started working on that end. I know their operations are kind of still getting going. In Florida, they have like uh, kind of set up differently, more differently than uh, Illinois, where like things are all integrated so like you get a license and you can like grow and sell weed with the license but revolution only grows the weed so they can only currently sell the weed to medical patients like straight to consumer medical patients because they don't have a dispensary yet um but Gingrich has also kind of been like going out and like kind of like speaking on behalf of like on equity issues from what I've seen I think she was at uh benzinga conference um, and uh, so she you know she's she's she uh yeah she wasn't at, at, at benzinga or is going to be whatever um so uh she clearly plays a role with the company and uh rap cassidy has said like you know this doesn't affect my work at all um She's, you know, she has been working uh, to pass cannabis legislation for a long time and has been a long-time advocate in Springfield. Um, So she's denied there's a conflict of interest uh, from the company's, uh, uh, you know, statements. She's just doing Florida stuff. But um, how Moylan's uh, bill is written is like any company that has a license in Illinois. If you are employed by that company, you can't work for them. So, gotcha.
0: so she would still be working around that. Cause she's,
1: no, I think no, because I think it's technically revolution, you know, revolution global as a ah, company. Okay. Okay. How licenses are mostly like worked out in the state of Illinois are like, uh, a lot of them are like, uh, one llc for one like a grow will have Mm -hmm. gti for example totally for example gti oglesby the oglesby grow for gti will have one llc so if it was framed like that that would be a really tough way to enforce this law if it Mm -hmm. you know and and there may be an argument made for that that like oh no well she's employed by her candace gingrich is employed by uh revolution, Florida. Um, and, um, so that's not, but Moylan said it was his intent to, uh, you know, that, that she would, you know, be, be hit by this. Um, another person, uh, we get into is, uh, Bob Morgan who was like the first, um, the first kind of chief regulator of the medical program. And, uh, He ran the medical program, and then after doing the medical program, he started to go into cannabis law, and in between being a regulator and being a legislator, he represented some of the biggest cannabis firms in Illinois, like GTI and Cresco and Pharmacan, Um, and then he ran for office, and he said, oh, I don't do cannabis law in Illinois anymore. I don't do Illinois cannabis law anymore. Mm from what I understand, he was still representing a cultivator in Michigan. So, you know, he's still operating in the space. Um, and you know, where this gets, where this could potentially all get hanky is like, you know, just the expansion of, uh, the businesses going on, right. Like, <clears throat> and there's all these subsidiaries and companies are connected and business owners are connected. Um, but, uh, So Morgan wouldn't be affected and, um, you know, there doesn't seem to be any intention to have him be affected. He's also working in a completely ancillary business where he is not working for the company. He is, uh, you know, contracted by a company to do legal work. Um, and when I, when I talked about Morgan, he actually said, you know, like, you know, I think we need to go even further with, uh, conflict of interest stuff and ethics stuff in Springfield. I think it's really important. And um, so you got Morgan, you got Cassidy. Those are kind of, you know, also, so uh, Senator Van Pelt is still under investigation um, by the Illinois Secretary of State's office for for kind of the stuff that sparked the conflict of interest provisions. Um, so then you have... Uh, pretty much with the exception, I believe, of just one former regulator who is now a county sheriff. Um, uh, Many of the uh, direct regulators involved in, many of like the direct cannabis regulators are involved in some way in the industry. And then you have like... uh, Jay Stewart, who is like the, the director of the whole IDFPR uh, <clears throat> from 2011 to 2016, he's now working for this company green Renaissance, Illinois. Uh, they're up for a ton. They're up for up to 10 licenses, dispensary licenses. They have deep ties to state government. Um, then you got Bridget Degnan who's a Cook County commissioner. She ran the medical program for a time too. Um, She's part of a different applicant group called Americana Dream. Her deputy, Tara Meyer, is also linked to that company. Uh, A guy named Joe Wright, who, uh, you know, earned the nickname the Cannabis King while he was running the medical program. Uh, He's got a consultancy based in Chicago, and he's also got uh, this company called New Sierra that uh, is out of Canada that does, like, cannabis oil. And... um, the most recent dude is this, is a guy named Jeff Cox who was running uh, the Bureau of Medicinal Plants in the Department of Agriculture up until last summer, and he jumped out and he started working for a consultancy called NMI Management Group that's led by a guy named two guys named Leonard Mailer and David Flood, who, you know, I'm for. I think a lot of people who are like familiar with like cannabis stuff in Illinois, there's certain names that like stick out, you know, like, uh, like Ben Kovler to people like, you know, that's the GTI guy or George Archos, you know, that's the Verano guy. They've publicly done interviews. They're out front. Mailer and Flood are uh, seem to be much uh, more low key. Um, But They're tied to the consume cannabis uh, dispensaries and progressive treatment solutions, cultivation. Um, And Flood was also uh, the principal officer of like the business association. It used to be the medical association. Now it's a different name. Um, And records also show, but it doesn't appear from filings now, but George Archos, who is the head of Verano, which is one of the three biggest pot companies in the country, probably the world. Um, Archos was around when they founded this thing, this group. So a guy who uh, doled out licenses to these people up until recently turns around and joins the group, um, would be an issue if he were working directly in the state of illinois uh would be you know an issue with the revolving door law but um he appears to be kind of like circumventing that by um by uh working in other states so Hmm. um yeah it's uh you know kind of i think for a lot of people who may be a little disillusioned uh as usual for state government you know you use you use the skills that you learn in a government job and, and and you uh you know turn around and make some dough off of them and uh that seems to be what's happening <laughs> but, yeah.
0: yeah it's crazy uh how you know how much money is floating around i mean um bob morgan you mentioned tallied at least as you reported in um, your article in the Sun Times, at least fifty-seven thousand two hundred fifty dollars in campaign contributions from donors linked to the state's cannabis industry. More than half thirty four thousand three hundred fifty came from the companies he represented or individuals affiliated with them. And I you know, I'm sorry, but the the, the Gingrich revolution thing is just there's no way it's not a conflict of interest in my in my personal opinion um it's just like how after you legalize cannabis and your partner you know gets appointed to i mean a pretty high ranking position within that company and i don't know that she necessarily had any past in cannabis but
1: I don't, I don't, I don't believe that she did have any past experience in the cannabis industry, but a, a lot of people who get into the cannabis industry admittedly don't.
0: Sure. Sure. Well, how, how can you have a past in an industry that hasn't existed? Right. You know, right. so um, it totally, I, I, I totally get where you're coming from there. So um, yeah. Any other thoughts on, uh, on that story?
1: Um, you know, It's tough to, uh, you know, get across uh, in certain ways, kind of like uh, the close circle of uh, influence and power and money in the cannabis industry. Um, And so that was kind of just an attempt to kind of show uh, through that, uh, you know, newsworthy item that there's this legislation you know, that, uh, you know, kind of some of these, those things, you know, like you represent these companies and then turn around you become a lawmaker and then they give you a bunch of campaign money or, you know, so uh, that's uh, always kind of been framed to me as what the, 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 the bread and butter of being a, a reporter, especially in Illinois, is it's kind of uh, under, understanding the currents of power and influence. And so uh, we just tried to uh, scratch scratch the surface of that a little bit. Um, but the other thing that Moylan is introducing that I said is encouraging for reporters who may be uh, filing Freedom of Information Act requests and trying to get uh, yeah. details about what is happening with the cannabis industry, right? So like, <clears throat> for example, if I asked you uh what dispensary made the most money last year what would you say hmm. um somewhere up in chicago we don't know because you can't get yeah. that information from the state of illinois <laughs> that's crazy so um you know there's there's a lot of information uh, about the regulation enforcement cannabis industry that's kind of under lock and key protected by confidentiality Mm -hmm. so this is encouraging and this ties into also like you know the influence and power sort of dynamics of it all and 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 potentially the closed circle of who's actually making money off of this thing like obviously like that the archos thing and that was interesting right like why is one ceo working with these other two cannabis businesses to have yeah like what it's the same thing as like uh you know, GTI and Verano are co-owners of two dispensaries in online. Can you imagine McDonald's and um Burger King co-owning two <laughs> mass food joints? Um so this is good or this is good could be good for me as a reporter trying to understand what's happening, um, because it uh would require the disclosure of uh, owners of uh, companies and applicant groups for cannabis licenses. Um, so I think that's pretty much, <laughs> that, but it is uh, like I said, for, for people who try to try to dig into this thing and you know it's, uh, can be a bear sometimes. Um, having that sort of, sort of information, Uh, made publicly available um, would be incredibly useful to us.
0: Yeah. So Tom, I got a few more stories that I wanted to get through. You okay on time?
1: Oh yeah.
0: Cool. Uh, Well, I wanted to talk about what I think was the biggest story of uh, last week, which is when we originally first started talking um, Chicago Verano was caught illegally taking cannabis to Arkansas, can you break down this story for us? Yeah, it's a pretty yeah. crazy story.
1: It's interesting you brought this up because um, C- Cranes uh, or uh, Bloomberg actually ran a story today that was interesting uh, about this. Um, but so last January, a guy who was w- was working as uh, like at a at a greenhouse in Arkansas that was being managed by Harvest. Um, was arrested and found with like all these weed plants um, at his apartment and his house and in the trash. And um, he was arrested and uh, he's being prosecuted in Arkansas on all of these drug crimes, you know? And um, at the time, Harvest was like, you know, around that time, Harvest was trying to take over uh acquire Uh, Verano for 850 million dollars or something like that. Um, and so it, it seems from the lawsuit that some of the uh operations were kind of starting to kind of overlap with each other. And so, um, the claim of this guy who was locked like caught and is facing these charges is that. a a guy from Verano who was a grower for Ataraxia, which is their uh, Illinois cultivation center named Michael Frontier, brought weed clones on a commercial flight from Chicago. um, And then uh, ultimately brought them to to Arkansas and Verano and uh, Harvest have like vehemently denied these claims, and it seems like they're gonna try to battle it out in court. But uh, the the court filings interesting, <laughs> mostly for that reason. But you know, uh, the the interesting thing also is that the guy who allegedly brought the marijuana in the Whole Foods salads on the commercial flight. Oh yeah, did I say that? Yeah. You, on a commercial flight he ate yep. the weed clones in a whole foods in whole food salads allegedly um and so this guy who allegedly did this is named Michael Frontier and like I said he was a ataraxia grower from what I understand <clears throat> and he uh he has been now indicted in federal court in Chicago uh for, for allegedly running an illegal gambling ring as well. Um, huh. So that bit of background was was interesting, but um, yeah, I mean, what this Bloomberg uh, story today kind of hit at was like, just kind of, this cuts the core of another normalization, federal regulate or federal lack of uh, Regulation issue, um, which is like the chicken and the egg scenario of like, you know, you have to get the wheat. Like, if weed was never legalized in Arkansas,
0: how do you get the genetics there?
1: Legally get weed there, right? To grow the weed. So, you know, it's this, you know, the dirty secret of the legal weed industry, right? Like, it's got to come from somewhere, but shh
0: yeah um. i always joke it comes from immaculate conception
1: <laughs> like yeah. i'm sure these companies that are publicly traded would want you to believe that uh, yeah. so, they definitely
0: don't want to talk about it that's for sure i've tried to have conversations about it and they do not well, want to talk about it and i get it you know <laughs> um, so.
1: so this was uh like i said they vehemently denied this um you know the Person who was the head grower at this cultivation had said the person who was caught and arrested had told him that he, the person who was arrested, brought the plants from Colorado, I believe, and they didn't come from Chicago. So, um, there's definitely, but like
0: you, I think, like you mentioned when we talk about this initially, they were definitely Verano strains, right?
1: That's what's claimed. It's like claimed. the names of the strains in the suit are like very clearly like. You know, obviously uh, you know, in a competitive uh, market like Illinois, everyone is very interested right now in having their like proprietary yep. name brand strains because, you know, anybody can have jack hair, but not everyone can have like r- rippy-dippy-doodle-kush. Yeah. yeah, or whatever. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> this is... Uh, this follows another lawsuit though, that was filed uh, against Verano um, where they were accused of you know, basically breaking the law. <clears throat> and that, that suit was settled and dismissed in January and a delivery driver had claimed that like, there was basically a pattern of racial discrimination against him And that he had been forced to deliver cannabis to military installations in Maryland to medical. So, like, like
0: the he's claiming that he delivered cannabis to military bases, like for the folks to enjoy.
1: Yeah, and you know, like weed—it's (laughs) one thing. Like, weed is federally illegal, so I'm, yeah, weed on military bases. It's like right. I'm, you know. You know so you know there's uh verano
0: you said they settled that suit
1: interim between these two suits went public right with the valuation of three billion dollars and is touted you know in every cannabis publication uh you know for this hugely uh swift rise you know it's it's pretty unbelievable what archos has been able to do you know he started Early on in the um, medical space with ataraxia. Then he started Zenleaf. He started expanding that. Then he kind of like put together this holding group of Burano and just taken off. And it's, uh, they're for sure a force to be reckoned with. So, um, you know, they settled the first suit. The guy in the Arkansas suit wants a ton of money like a lot of money so um i know from when i um filed the story it was like uh harvest was trying to force arbitration um so i'll have to check in on it and see see how it goes talk to the parties and uh do an update on it on that. gotcha
0: do you, you mentioned though that bloomberg ran uh something to do with this story what was that that you uh you
1: know they were basically just saying like uh you know that this cuts to the core Uh, it it was just a short little story about how uh the case shows just how absurd the clash between federal and state cannabis laws in the U.S. can be and how lawyers are finding ways to take advantage of it but I mean yeah so Definitely, uh, you know, it it, it became a big story. That's just because Verano has become a big company and a big topic of conversation. So, um, but yeah. What were the other stories you want to talk about?
0: Um, There was, uh, you know, we were talking about um, consumption lounges and it turns out that Illinois' first consumption lounge will open soon
1: um let me open the story i tweeted this but i sent my boss that uh link to the story and it had that photo of what this consumption lounge uh looks like and he jokingly says to me like uh oh yeah that looks like a great place to smoke
0: (laughs) (laughs) i actually don't see a picture of the place i'll have to try to find a a photo of the place but
1: but, uh the exterior in I think you sent me like an Eater article. This must've been like a, so I guess it's in Cessor, Cesar, Cesar which is 300 miles South of Chicago. And uh, yeah, it's just going to be the first consumption pot consumption lounge to open uh, in Illinois since rec was legalized. And it's like a BYO weed spot. And that's, you know, cool
0: yeah it's super cool it's uh
1: yeah i i, I think it's gonna be <clears throat> i know like the consumption lounge stuff kind of got curtailed um amid concerns about like indoor smoking and stuff like that but uh like illinois supply and provisions in springfield had gotten approved for a consumption lounge at the dispensary last year and they never made it and I haven't talked to anyone from there, but I do know that like the people who I have talked to in the industry, a couple people have all kind of been like, we don't really want to do that. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you're in the, you're, you're a retail outlet and then you like have to do hospitality. It's like, that's a pretty daunting task. And then like, what's the benefit? Are you really are you gonna sell that much more weed for people coming to smoke there or you know?
0: Right. Yeah, and that's the thing that I think uh consumption lenders in other states see is that it's like, you know, if you're forced to buy weed there, it can be kind of a a pickle, so to say, you know. Do you well, hope that their also, weeds good and...
1: for this place and Sessor or I don't I my
0: apologies
1: <laughs> to the listeners in this town i've never heard of um you know how do you monetize this for them you know if it's bring your own weed the attraction of what you're going to do there like yeah i mean it looks
0: it looks like you know i'm checking out their instagram right now they say live shows and events that sounds cool once we can do those again uh that you know a comedy club that you could smoke in would be fucking crazy um for example yeah that's uh, yeah it looks like you can shop glass art and fun inside the joint whatever that is and then uh it says yummy bites food truck um dab bar anyone so yeah i mean it it looks pretty cool but from what i've heard in other states it just it just doesn't end up panning out the way you think it would you know um people that smoke generally have a place to smoke at home and there's definitely a group of folks that are uh you know that that would be a good audience for these lounges i think
1: well Um, maybe a good time for it like you know with like things opening up again and people are going to just like want to be doing shit all the time you know mm-hmm. people are going to want to be uh f- you know new act whatever they can do to not be in the house anymore so like yeah maybe it will be uh you know well and tourists i, I think, think tourists would one. i don't think it'd be the last one and i mean like yeah you know regulate you know it's City of Chicago might get difficult. I, I, I think there's probably some like uh, low key weed lounges around.
0: That. Oh yeah, no, for sure. There's def- there definitely are. Um, you know, I think it's interesting. People always point point out like, oh, you know, smoke free Illinois and stuff. But it's like, you know, hookah lounges still exist, and I believe this is exactly what they were thinking. You know, like a hookah yeah. lounge could.
1: So that's why know. I think that's why they got it to this level, though. So it is like a hygge. yeah. Um,
0: so i wonder are they going to be able to i want well i guess they said yummy bites food truck Um, i wondered if they were going to be able to sell food inside because i know in some states uh, i've heard uh, on clubhouse which you mentioned you wanted to talk about um, i've heard that some states they open their consumption lounge and they're actually not allowed to serve food
1: Oh, is that right
0: yeah yeah i can't remember which state it was i wanted to say it was colorado though Colorado or California, one of them. And
1: uh, a cruel cruel trick on a stoned human being. Well, yeah,
0: you expect to be able to go smoke and have like a bottle of water and maybe some munchies, you know, a a smoke lounge. And there'd be like, you expect a TV to be on something funny or whatever.
1: I don't know. You know, it could be cool. um, What I was always saying was like a a bowling alley would be cool. Um, A comedy lounge. Um, Mm Mm-hmm like one of those places with like a bunch of trampolines
0: <laughs> oh man that would be really cool like a that would be pit. a lot of fun
1: ball pit it's just it's just bongs in some part of it you know you a trampoline <laughs> yeah trampoline and slam dunk a basketball
0: man an adult adult park with a smoke with a smoking section would be just killer yeah absolutely killer <laughs> And I mean, they do it. They do it with places with alcohol. You have like axe throwing go-karts and people are drinking, you know. so. But um,
1: yeah, no, I wanted to ask you about uh, Clubhouse because I've had um, a couple of people who are like big time uh, tuned into like Hot World and kind of more like on the culture side too who were like dude take this login and you got to do clubhouse because it's so great first of all like what is what do you do on it like is it like you're sitting in like a seminar and you hear like snoop Dogg talk to like (laughs) whoever and then you just listen to them
0: some of them so yeah uh from what i understand you can you can have clubs right and so for example our friend mike malcolm has a weed travel food club right and so he's well, Mike able is one to of
1: the people who's... shout out Mike big shouts to Mike um, yeah hell yeah the people who's definitely been encouraging me to do this
0: yeah I uh, actually I posted that you were gonna be on the show earlier today and he he said he was really excited for it so yeah definitely shout out to Mike he's super supportive one of the one of the best guys I've met in the industry I just gotta say so shout out to him if he's listening right na- right now you're the man <laughs> um but yeah uh, he's got a club so folks join the weed travel food club and uh you know you can schedule events and so um it's it's tough to to totally describe what it is but um you know he's got um he has certain events like uh how to become a cannabis influencer you know and he brings in other cannabis influencers for example and so the, the folks that are speaking are on the stage, right? There's a virtual stage. And then there are folks in the audience. Well, if you're in the audience, you can raise your hand virtually and they'll pull you up onto the stage and you can ask a question and and have a conversation with all these folks. And that's where it gets really cool. You know, um, I was in a club uh, or a, a chat i guess I, I don't i guess session but well, you called them this seminar i don't really even know what to call them i'm i'm new to clubhouse so i'm actually looking to start um our own clubhouse soon but apparently they tell me i'm not frequent enough of a user so i'm going to start logging in more <laughs> so that i can do that um, but a really cool uh session i was in recently what's that
1: you have to be addicted to this app to- yeah
0: yeah you got to be on it a lot i guess but uh one of the really cool sessions I participated in was a Holocaust survivor um, session. And it was just crazy. Cause like when I was in high school, I've told this story before on the podcast So folks that have heard it, I apologize. But when I was in high school, we had a Holocaust survivor come to the school and you know how it is in high school. Like I just, I listened to her and everything. I just, I wish that I was like, of my mindset now so that I could go back and ask her questions, you know, and like, I wish I could have recorded it, you know, and stuff like that. So to be able to have that experience to ask these people questions about their experience um, was just, that's, that's one of the craziest ones I've been in, but you know, there's uh every Friday, the pop so, brothers at law have uh
1: what's they, that with, uh, concentration camps
0: yeah so, some of them wow. so, some of them were yeah so um most that of them keeps, you know kids because
1: and, i keep hearing from people like oh i saw this you know like a famous rapper talk and i'm like oh i mean all
0: right yeah there are rooms like that where like a uh, comedian like That's tom dylan will get they, in or,
1: listening to the perspective of uh of holocaust survivors seems a, a little bit more valuable of an experience.
0: Yeah. Well, and then like I say uh there the Pop Brothers at Law have some good sessions that I've seen. Like they've got Shut the Fuck Up Fridays which they teach people about their rights. Oh, and... those
1: dudes are like uh <laughs> Those dudes from that video where they
0: talking. Yeah, about... from yeah, from uh Tosh. Oh and stuff. They actually came on my show. So folks that are listening uh go back. We did a show with the Pop Brothers at Law um which they've I saw them on YouTube when I was in high school and then I saw him on Tosh.0 and yeah, they're like, uh, you know, the, they've got the script. And the last thing is, you know, when cops ask you questions, what do you do? Shut the fuck up, you know? So, just yeah. The it's really funny. Oh,
1: yeah. Dude. They're cool. Cool dudes. That's so you got him on the show. That's a good, that's a good get.
0: Yeah, dude. He's a really cool guy. I actually was just talking with him on clubhouse the other day and he was mentioning, you know, that, He gave a, he gave our podcast a shout out. So shout out to Mark. Um, But yeah, things like that, you know, it's, it's like priceless. I connect with Mike Malcolm all the time. He's in a bunch of different sessions. And so I think it would be a good resource for you. You know, you could, uh, you that's what everyone said to a lot of folks. You
1: gotta gotta go on this. I mean, I'm sure it'd be great to get story ideas and talk to different people.
0: Yeah. Like one of the things I, uh, I went on there and I kind of went on one of my rants that folks have heard on the podcast before I was basically talking about this experience I had when I first went to Colorado, which um, was really sad about. Cause like I went to Colorado, I was really excited to get legal cannabis. I did. Um, and I was like, I wanted to go out to like a trail to enjoy it, you know? And I was just sad because when I got to the trail, like I looked around, I, put you know my packaging in my pocket because i wanted to make sure to throw it away but i look around and i could just see like people had thrown their cannabis packaging around i'm like we're not we're not that crowd you know like we were based on um you know part of the legalization argument was sustainability and the fact that cannabis can be used as a building material and as a bioplastic and you know uh biofuel and so on and so forth and here we are with like all this plastic in the industry and people are throwing it away and it's never gonna you know um it's we we know the island of plastic that's floating in the ocean the size of texas right yeah,
1: so I I, like it, the, the, the foot like you know like the environmental footprint of legal cannabis um
0: somebody actually just posted a story about that today and uh because
1: it's like you colorado all of, like electricity is crazy mm-hmm. um all of the plastic i mean you're right it is everything is
0: well and so i met this dude oh, that, that uh thing
1: a huge thing of plastic it's crazy
0: yeah and there's so much packaging there's so much packaging for all these things it's it's ridiculous like um a cartridge comes in a freaking cardboard box with like a pamphlet and just like this and that. And it's, it's just crazy. Um, but I met this dude that makes packaging in another state called not plastic. And it, his goal is to make biodegradable plastic out of, you know, plant fat and everything else. And I don't think they're at the point. I think it's actually some sort of starch that they make out of. I don't think they're at the point where they're doing it with hemp yet because it is a, really expensive process to scale up um but they're getting there right and that's i don't know i just hate that that we're even that we even went that way because it seemed like uh it seemed to me like when we legalized cannabis it just spawned a whole other industry of plastics you know so
1: but that sounds cool yeah i gotta i gotta i gotta sign up for that
0: Mm. yeah man I can sh- I can shoot I'm you a always, referral.
1: I'm always reticent to like adopt new social media um things. Yeah. I'm already way too addicted to Twitter.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. People do get I'm addicted unhealthy. to Clubhouse.
1: It's unhealthy to to just like have something be like your first instinct, you know, like it's like becomes like a you know, any extra second you got, you can't help yourself but to open this thing it has the news just hasn't stopped during and we're just stuck at home constantly well that's that's it that's all i got man
0: that's all i have as well well folks thank you so much for listening and tom thank you for setting aside the time uh to come on the chillinoy podcast i'd love to have you on again in the future man to talk about uh developments and yeah, uh, the Illinois I cannabis industry
1: rapid fire panel of all the weed in Illinois.
0: oh you already know it I'm about to I mean I've got uh, oh, as you know I've had Brad Spearson and Mike Fouché I'm going to be reaching out to some of the other folks that you've mentioned to me in former conversations and yeah I think it would be awesome to one of these days especially yeah I'm vaccinated now so woohoo but one of these days when we're all vaccinated um i'd love to get together and um do the first in in-person Illinois podcast and yeah it'd be cool as hell to have a panel built up of illinois cannabis reporters because there's a there's a small but awesome group of you folks and you're doing god's work my friend so thank you yeah well, and- i just have to I just have to say a lot of people were really excited for you to come onto the show. A lot of people are a big fan of your work. So keep up, keep up the good work.
1: I'm psyched, man. It's uh, it's, it's really been cool. And uh, you know, the the Illinois cannabis industry, the, 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 the interested parties it's a small group, but uh, everyone is uh, incredibly interested. (laughs) I will say that much. Everybody follows everything. And um, you know, so in, reporting on something like that is good to you know people really are you know follow every development of what's happening and 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 have have interesting pr- perspectives to add to it and uh but you know what i just thought of my idea for having a uh on-site consumption space that's uh, like a gymnasium place hell yeah a little free game you could call it um blaze and busters
0: <laughs> i love it i love it well folks tom shuba from chicago sun times you can follow him on twitter at tom shuba that's t-o-m-s-c-h-u-b-a if you've got a serious lead uh go ahead and shoot tom an email it's t shuba at suntimes.com dot com and uh he of course is a professional reporter so he honors you know whatever you need you know so it's uh we love we love our reporters right so so good stuff man all right well cheers and uh i'm gonna stop this recording